Hello, and welcome to Podcastica Patristica. I'm your host, Gerhard Steuben, and I'm excited to be talking to you today about St. Augustine's massive and monumental book, City of God. Today, we're going to be talking about books 19 and 20 in this nearly 1,000-page book, um, and we're going to be coming to a close soon. This is the second-to-last episode on the City of God, um, and after that, we'll be getting back to our normal um, programming with some exciting things coming up. Uh, I'm most excited about a author discussion that we're going to have in the near future with Adam Wynn on his book, Reading Mark's Christology Under Caesar. Adam is a New Testament professor at the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor, where I went to college, and um, Adam and I and Tyler are personal friends now, and I'm very excited to be talking to him about um, his work that is really interesting, um, really engaging, and can really help with understanding the Christology in Mark's um, infamously confusing and terse gospel. Also, if you're interested, um, we are currently in the middle of a series on the monarchs of England on the other podcast that I host with uh, our friend Jake Robbie um, called The Reformation Podcast. Um, We just did our episode on Henry VIII, the uh, would-be Protestant reformer, And we're going to record the episode on Edward VI uh, in the next couple of days. So that's probably up by now. Um, And if it's not, it'll be up in a couple of days from when you listen to it. So, Augustine's City of God. Like the rest of Augustine's book, like I'm sure you've picked up on by now, Augustine gives a lot of detail. So once again, I'm going to be cutting this down to the simplest Um, the most succinct form that I can in order to make this engaging for you on your drive to work or while you're cooking dinner or however you listen to this podcast. And so I'm going to be leaving a lot out, but I think these are the essential bits of books 19 and 20. Now, there's going to be a pretty strict differentiation between um, when I talk about books 19, book 19 and book 20 um, because they're about very different topics. They're related um, and there's a logical progression from 19 to 20, um, but each has its own very um, contained message, unlike a lot of the books that have come previously. In book 19, uh, Augustine discusses the ends or the goals of the two cities, the human city and the uh, heavenly city, the city of man and the city of God. And he is going to talk about um, the goals for which each exists, um, which, what goals each posits as the, um, the primal factor motivating life. That is... Um, how Augustine sees each community, the city of man and the city of God, um, motivating their own activities and what ends for which they act. And what is the ultimate good that each pursues and what is the ultimate evil that each flees? In his words, quote, for our final good is that for which other things are to be desired, while it itself is desired for its own sake. The final evil is that for which other things are to be shunned, while it is to be self it is itself to be shunned on its own account. Unquote. So Augustine is going to show you what the city of man um, desires for its own sake, and that which is the city of man shuns for its own sake, and what the city of God 
um, desires for its own sake and shuns for its own sake. But first, what does the city of man say? Here is elsewhere, Augustine draws on the um, pagan philosopher Varro, and he um, uses Varro's um, classical work on the history of philosophy um, in Greece and Rome, uh, giving a few different answers to what life is about, uh, what should be pursued for its own sake. In the city of man, according to Augustine, according to Varro, there is, on the one hand, Epicureans. They um, desire pleasure, um, repose. They desire a life of ease, of happiness. Um, and this is not like you may have heard about Epicureans before, um, that it's not all base sensuality. It's not raving in clubs, doing LSD. Um, this is a more dignified sort of pleasure-oriented lifestyle. This is... The good life, the American dream of a white picket fence and kids and a dog, um, just a pleasant life for its own sake. Augustine says that Varro says that this is one answer that human philosophers have given to what is the purpose of life. And Augustine says that's not adequate, and he'll tell you why in a minute. Second, he gives the cynics, who are another school of philosophy, who prided themselves on their self-sufficiency, on their um, discipline, on their personal moral vigor. And Augustine says, this is another answer that is given um, for why, how humans uh, think about the end of life, that for which is to be desired in itself. Epicureans desire pleasure. Cynics desire rigorous virtue. Um, and thirdly, Platonists desire philosophy. The Platonist school in ancient Greco-Roman thought was the school that said um, just sitting back and contemplating the mysteries of the universe, especially contemplating God and God's nature, is itself that thing which should be desired. And um, this is essentially akin to those who make uh, theology the meaning of life, knowing God in a cognitive way the meaning of life. The Platonists say, uh, from a pagan theological perspective, um, knowing about the nature of God, um, about the nature of the universe, and just accumulating knowledge about the universe is itself the meaning of life. And so these are three options. On the one hand, you've got bodily pleasure, um, on the other, on another hand, uh, you have virtue, and on a third hand, um, because you fell into nuclear waste, you have philosophical contemplation. That is, on the one hand, body, soul, and body and soul mixed. Epicureans think the purpose of life is found in the body and in pleasure. Platonists think that the purpose of life is found in the soul and mental contemplation. And uh, cynics think that the meaning of life is found in the virtuous actions of the body, which is a combined effort between um, body and soul. But Augustine says these are all wrong, since all of them are unstable and cannot be attained with um, reliable uh, results. The body gets sick. So the Epicureans can't be right. The purpose of life can't be in the body because the body is destroyed by cancers 
um, by all sorts of sicknesses and accidents and ultimately death. The uh, Platonists also can't be right because the mind itself is racked by disease. You can get Alzheimer's, you can get amnesia and have your mind, your mind destroyed as well. Um, and the cynics are wrong, according to Augustine, since the idea that we can be free from sin is um, a misunderstanding of human nature. It doesn't take into adequate account our, throughout our lives, um, sinful nature. That we, it assumes that humans are good or can be good in a way that it is um, mistaken at best and proud at worst. And so Augustine says, the meaning of life, the goal which is desired in and of itself can't be uh, bodily pleasure, it can't be philosophical uh, reflection, and it can't even be virtuous action because all three of them are unstable. Rather, Augustine says, quote, eternal life is the supreme good and eternal death the supreme evil. And we believe that to achieve the one and escape the other, we must live rightly. So this is, um, this is a nuance on sort of the cynic position. Um, he rejects it, then he offers essentially heaven and hell as the ultimate good and ultimate evil, and virtue as the thing which can get you to one or the other. Obviously virtue with faith in God's forgiving activity. So it's not just living rightly, it's living rightly for the purpose of salvation. Salvation is the purpose of life, and damnation is the thing um, that is the only thing that should be really scary, should be really shunned by Christians. Augustine doesn't say this explicitly, but his logic um, certainly implies that everything in life uh, should everything that we do in life should contribute to our salvation, since that's the thing for which all other things are desired. And uh, damnation should be the only thing we really run from. Everything else can be accepted with patience, but the only thing that we are re should be really afraid of is to be condemned by God at the Last Judgment, which Augustine will talk about in the next book. Now, having given his answer to the problem um, by deconstructing the philosopher's answer to the problem, Augustine brings up um, an issue which um, it has relevance for contemporary thought. After giving his own answer, he brings up a possible counter-answer. He says, okay, okay, okay. I dismantled these three philosophical positions, but what about society as the meaning of life? What if society and socialization can create the goods for which um, Christianity uh, works? What if society and socialization and building community um, can create harmonious relationships and peace and happiness, the sort of things that should be desired for their own sake? And Augustine says, this too um, is a fleeting hope. Uh, once you press down on society and the history of humans in community with one another, you find as much sin and as much horror and as much devastation as you find just prying into one human heart. 
Um, and here, Augustine has, if you're looking for it, some of his most direct statements on peace and war and just war. Um, and I'll just direct you to chapter 19 if you want to read about that more on your own, since it's not really central to the argument. But, um, Augustine says, thriving human relationships can't be the meaning of life because thriving human relationships are not reliably found among human societies. Uh, Augustine here quotes some classical poets who say things like, even marriage, the most intimate form of human society, is a relationship that is often filled with strife, filled with anger, filled with fighting. Um, and even parents and children don't have harmonious relationships, but parents are always um, are often exasperated at their children, and children are often get angry at their parents. So even in the most intimate social settings, when humans should be most idyllic, there is uh, conflict, and there is not the sort of good that we want out of life. We can't just place our hopes for meaning and fulfillment and all the things um, that touch the deep places in our souls. We can't look for those um, even in community, even in relationships with other people, since even those relationships and those communities are flawed and filled with sinful humans. Like I said, this leads Augustine to a discussion about war, since war is the ultimate representation of conflict among humans and in human communities. And Augustine says, Peace in relationship approximates on earth what Christians expect in heaven. The ultimate end um, of human life is peace in the eternal city, is the secure um, relaxation and trust that we will have uh, when we are in the unassailable city of God, in living in eternal life, um, that eternal salvation will give us lasting and unassailable peace. Now, Augustine here claims that all of human activity in the state is to um, is motivated by a desire to approximate that peace. And even pagans, when they make war on one another, make war for the goal of securing peace. Um, but Augustine says, even though that's good, and that we should attempt to uh, approximate the peace of heaven on earth as much as possible, uh, only in heaven, only in the eternal city, will humans have the peace that is so longed for. And so while the church can and should um, attempt to bring peace on earth, the church should never lose sight of the fact that any peace on earth is going to be approximate at best and unstable, and only in the presence of God in the eternal city, when we have all realized salvation after the last judgment, will there be the true peace that we want? And finally, Augustine puts forth a thesis on peace in on earth, in human societies, that I think is interesting, but he doesn't expound much on. But I do think it's worth talking about on this podcast. 
Augustine says towards the end of the chapter that in order to have a secure society and societal peace, we need a people who have virtue. And, Augustine says, in order to have true virtue, we need true religion. So Augustine argues that one way uh, to approximate the peace of heaven on earth is to create the people of heaven on earth. One way um, to have peace in a society is to have the people of the city of God in society and ruling society and banning the worship of demons, which is the Greco-Roman gods, um, from the city. Now, I'll leave that to you to think about since it's not core to the argument of the chapter, but I do think it was worth noting. And finally, closing out our discussion, Book 20 is a uh, reflection on the Last Judgment and the nature of the Last Judgment. And Augustine says here basically what you'd expect him to say. Um, he talks about um, the prophecies in the Bible regarding the Last Judgment. Um, he discusses the nature of the Last Judgment, both for the wicked and the good. Augustine says that Christians always have and always will um, believe that Christ is literally going to come and judge all people, that all people will literally stand under the um, judgment of Christ, that the judgment day is not a metaphor, that the judgment day um, is not just a symbol of the good in the world being um, punished and the bad in the world being, uh, the good in the world being rewarded and the bad in the world being punished, but instead that Christ will literally come and um, save all those people who live virtuously in faith in him and literally punish all the people who um, rejected him and who live unvirtuous lives. Now, Augustine discusses different possibilities for what exactly um, the future reward for the righteous will look like, um, how, like what bodies they will have, um, how they can withstand the fires that are going to consume the earth, um, in what way will they know about the punishment of the wicked without um, needing to see it with their physical eyes. And similarly, Augustine talks about the different um, physical realities, the different spiritual realities that will accompany the um, punishment of the wicked. But in general, um, it's a very traditional um, perspective on the Last Judgment. The most interesting part, um, two most interesting parts about the book, I think for our purposes on this podcast is, first, um, Augustine believes that the Last Judgment is an answer to the problem of inequality in the world today. So Augustine recognizes that there are good people in the world who suffer for doing good, and there are evil people in the world who prosper by doing evil. Augustine knows that there are um, Catholic nuns in orphanages um, who die of starvation because they're doing too much, so much good um, in feeding the poor. And Augustine realizes that there are CEOs um, who live in abundant luxury uh, because they're extorting profits from their weak workers. So Augustine recognizes 
what we might call the problem of evil. Um, and Augustine thinks that in general, people who do good are rewarded with good, and people who do bad are punished with suffering. Um, he thinks that's the way the world generally works. But in those outlier cases, and he would see this, um, the starving nun and the tyrant CEO as out, outlier cases, as not reflective of the general makeup of human society in human history. Uh, disagree with him on that if you want. While he doesn't see that as the, um, as the pattern, and he sees it as an outlier, outlier um, Augustine nevertheless recognizes that even in those cases where it seems like the bad are getting good for their badness and the good are getting evil for their goodness, God will fix those um, inequalities at the last judgment. The good none will be vindicated and the bad CEO will be punished um, in accordance with their actions, which seems to have gone unrewarded or un unpunished on earth. The second most interesting thing in this chapter is Augustine's discussion of the millennium of Revelation. If you're not familiar, um, the book of Revelation, the um, last canonical book in Christian scripture, um, has a section where it talks about um, the binding of Satan. And according to the story happening in Revelation, um, at one point, at some point in human history, Satan will be bound with a chain and thrown into essentially a prison cell and will no longer be able to exercise control of the earth and cause suffering on the earth for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, God is going to let Satan out for a little bit to do some more evil, and then God is going to finally uh, punish Satan and free the world of evil forever. Now, what this means has been a topic of debate literally since the book was written. Um, but Augustine gives his own solution to the problem. Augustine says that the binding of the devil is now, is in Augustine's time now, uh, when the devil um, has been metaphorically bound by the preaching of the gospel. Before the birth of Christ and the birth of the church and the preaching of the gospel, the devil had free reign over the earth to get people to worship demons and to perform all sorts of evil um, activities. But when Jesus was incarnated and the church was given the gospel of reconciliation, Satan's power on earth was bound and a new era of Christians, of the church reigning over society began. And though it began slowly at first. It um, grew exponentially and exponentially and exponentially until um, in Augustine's time, even the Roman Empire had become Christian. And so Augustine believed his own time was that thousand-year reign of the church when the devil had been bound and evil um, had been in a very significant way suppressed by the gospel and people were converting to Christianity away from their old evil ways. Now, Augustine says that the thousand years is figurative, um, that because a thousand represents a cube, because uh, the number 10, and there's a whole math equation if you want to go read about it yourself, uh, it represents the totality of the church's reign on earth. So that, in one sense, the thousand years is figurative. 
But Augustine also intimates that he believes that the thousand years is literal because at one point he talks about um, a prophecy in the book of Daniel um, when there's going to be three and a half years of persecution uh, at the end of times. And Augustine says, so should we reckon that three and a half years within the thousand year reign um, of the church and binding of the devil? Or is that going to be after the thousand years? And Augustine ultimately concludes, it doesn't really matter since scripture uses rounded numbers anyway. Um, but it gives us some insight that Augustine believes that while the thousand years um, binding of the devil what had, did have a figurative meaning, it was also interpreted somewhat literally. And this calls back, of course, to um, one of my episodes um, on the city of God, which discussed how uh Augustine always tried to hold a literal and a phys and a, a metaphorical interpretation of Scripture together um, in regards to, say, the book of Genesis or whatnot. Beyond these two really interesting elements of Book 20, as I said earlier, the rest of the um, book on the Last Judgment in City of God is pretty commonplace. And since we're nearing the end of our time slot anyway, I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Podcastica Patristica and letting me talk to you about this amazing, if massive, book. And again, um, be sure to tune in for our upcoming final episode of City of God, which Tyler will walk you through books 21 and 22. And then be sure to tune in for our interview with Adam Wynn, uh, reading Mark's Christology Under Caesar, his book um, published with IVPA Academic. And finally, if you just want more of this um, theological engagement of Christian history, you can always check out the Reformation podcast, which I host with um, my friend Jake Robbie. Thanks again for listening in, and I will be looking forward to talking to you again soon.